Welcome in, everybody, to the West Side Sports Podcast. It is February 13th, 2024. As always, I am your host, Dakota Esri. Welcome into the podcast today. It is the day after the day after the Super Bowl and the reaction. Um, apologies for not having a podcast up the day of. I, like everybody else, was just sitting around enjoying the day that it was and all the festivities. But we're here. We're going to... I'm going to talk a little bit about the Super Bowl. I'm going to go over mainly just some of the things I looked at, the takeaways, uh, team builds. Uh, yes, we're going to talk about Usher in the halftime show. This is going to be more of an old school throwback podcast version today for those of you for, for the OGs who listened back to episode one or in the very, very beginning. Appreciate you. God bless. And thank you again. Um, I'm just going to have a kind of a breakdown between Super Bowl halftime. I'm going to look at some MLB for agent talk. I'm going to talk about a little bit about Mariners spring training, some of the things I'm looking forward to, a couple of topics, and then we're going to go into the Seahawks hirings and the staff that's been being built the last few days. First off, if you enjoy the content and the overall conversation, please do me a huge favor and subscribe, leave a rating on whatever podcast um, platform you're on, uh, Spotify, Apple, all that stuff. I'm on everything that's possibly available on the face of the planet, cover Earth. So thank you just so much for listening. I greatly appreciate it. And if you enjoy this, please tell your friends, your family members, um, your coworkers, whatever it is, to, uh, build, to build this brand, expand it so we can get more ears and eyeballs on the podcast. As big things are going to keep coming towards this great show. Okay, Super Bowl. Super Bowl was a lot of fun, obviously. Had a lot of records, had a lot of conversations, had a lot of... Um, a lot of talk from Tony Romo, and I'll get into that here in a few minutes. But first of all, congratulations to the Kansas City Chiefs on winning back-to-back Super Bowls. Um, incredibly difficult. It goes without saying the amount of dedication, the prep work, the the X's and O's, the Jimmys and Joes, whatever you, you want to call it. The Chiefs are the Chiefs, you know? And some people are going to say, well, the first time or the last time we saw the Chiefs, they were riding the, you know, the coattails of this prolific offense. You know, it was similar to like, you know, a lot of people were calling it like, um, like the best show on turf. Uh, when we saw the Rams and all that stuff years and years ago. This team was built entirely different, entirely different for the fact of when, when we thought about the Chiefs or when we have thought about the Chiefs, you think about Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, um, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire was the running back at, at that time. They were a prolific offense that put up 30 to 35 points per game. It, did, like, it didn't matter who it was against, the time, the date, didn't matter. Because that offense was just clicking on a different cylinder. And Tyreek Hill was becoming that, that cheetah, right? And we're going to talk actually about Tyreek Hill at the end of this podcast. So stay tuned until the very end. Because it's going to be a little bit of a tease of when we're, we're going to get to with that. However, this Super Bowl set records. It set records for eyeballs. It set records for total amount of views. Averaged and total. There are two different records there for those who are interested. 123.4, right? Of course, it's 1, 2, 3, 4. At mil- 123.4 million people. Of what this brand continues to build upon year by year by year. The only For an example... The only sporting event in the world that competes at the at the level of viewership that I'm talking about now is FIFA, and that is it. FIFA had 1.3 billion eyes, and that's because it's literally global. Soccer is played in every single country in the world, right? And now football is trying to follow that path that soccer has kind of established before them, and obviously the NFL is king. So we'll kind of see whether we want to build the Eagles, Spain. There's going to be so much more to talk about, but that's a different conversation for an entirely different day. I am just... A lot of people were saying, was it a was it was it a great game? Yeah. I know it's a crappy podcast answer. Eh. It, it was a good game. It was very it was very much a good game. I would not go as far as a great game. I would say the only players in that game that were great, not to be one sided, were Chiefs players. Obviously, Patrick Mahomes was great. Uh Harrison Bucker, the kicker, was great, and Trent McDuffie was great in that game. Right? And for Usher. Usher, Usher, Usher. You killed it, my man. You absolutely killed it. You stepped in. I didn't know what to expect. I didn't have any expectations. I was excited for Usher because no due disrespect to any of the other bands beforehand that, like Dave Matthews Band, whoever the hell that they, they've used inside of the of the uh, past, right? I, it's just not something I grew up watching. Usher was a pretty big part of my 
you know, my teenage years, all my high school dances. You know, I'm sure people that are listening to this, they're like, you know, Usher was Usher, right? So that, that was fun. And Lil John and Luda and everybody else who came in, that, that, that was great, right? Usher was freaking shredded. Look great. Boy, I've been spending some serious time in that gym. I give him props to that because working that core like that is not easy. But uh, Alicia Keys, whoo wee! Goodness gracious, Alicia Keys. Let us sign a waiver form first before you get on the television looking like that. I mean, I ain't complaining. I'm just saying just saying what I got to say. Alicia Keys looking damn good on that, on that old television last night. Or on uh, Sunday night, excuse me. But the game was fun. The game had its ups, its downs. There's going to be... I was going to say millions of conversations because that's probably an overstatement, but I might almost be correct. About what do you do if you're a Niners fan? A, a buddy of mine I reached out to. I have not heard back from him about how he's doing Niner-wise. Hope you're doing okay, Cody. I hope, you know, when, when you get to listen to this. But um, there's going to have to be a conversation that will be, have to be held at some point in time about what the future in, holds for Kyle Shanahan in San Francisco. And some people, right? If you're a Niners fan and you're listening to, to this podcast, first of all, my props to you, and you are a stronger human being mentally with this loss than I would have than I was at when my Seahawks lost on the one-yard line, right? I wouldn't be able to have this conversation yet. Still way too fresh. And for a lot of Niners fans, it's going to take like, couple weeks to flush this bad memory out of their brain, right? But getting back to where, where I was getting from before I got on the side tangent, the conversation about what's going to be need to be had between Kyle Shanahan and this organization needs to be had. Conversation is Brock Purdy, the guy for San Francisco. Kirk Cousins, even with the torn Achilles, and he looks like he's doing just fine with his dance moves and stuff that he probably got cleared, obviously, by his doctors and medical staff, blah, 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 right? And find the Niners. And a report came out over the weekend before the Super Bowl from Mike Garofalo of Fox that there was intimate interest. So hard for me to say those two words back to back. There was intimate interest between Kyle Shanahan, the Niners brass, and Kirk Cousins. And if I'm the Niners, I strongly consider it because Brock Purdy had his chance to win the Super Bowl. He failed to do so. I'm going to leave it there. If you have conversations, you want to have side chat, you can find me on X. I'm trying to be better about that, not calling it the T word. X at PNW Professor. You can find me there. So, Super Bowl, we spent its time in the sun. Let's transition to the next topic, okay? Uh, when we talk about people and brands, right, that are, you think of, like, Michael Jordan, obviously, Jordan. You think of, for a while, it was Tiger Woods with Nike. It was Phil Mickelson, uh, you know, with, with New Balance and Steph Curry with all, all this other stuff, right? And the reason why I'm bringing up these analogies is that today it was announced, or, like, last night at, like, 11 o'clock. It was announced. Weird time to announce these kind of things because typically when brands get revealed, it's usually midday when your mainstream of your viewers and eyeballs are on their devices, right? On their lunch breaks, so be it, right? Tiger Woods has officially created his own brand, which, to be honest, I thought he'd already done. And if, his, and if I've missed one beforehand, or if he has a side brand that's not nearly as big, apologies. I don't do, go into digging for every possible golf brand thing, because I'm not a huge golf guy. But I like the conversation, seeing that Tiger Woods is like, hey, you know what? Nike chose, chose to, to split away from me. However that decision became to be, who the hell knows, Right? Those are private conversations. But now he has, quote, Sunday Red is his name of his company. And it's like a red tiger in the background. I'll be honest, I thought it looked cheap. Initial reaction, I was like, huh? That's it? You're Tiger freaking Woods, bro. You have a, you could you could create a money printing machine is with how much money you have, Tiger Woods. And this is what you choose? And maybe I'm just, maybe I just don't like what his decision was, obviously. So be it. But I just thought that there was more upside to where there was. So be curious to see how well it goes, the branding, stuff like that, and how it goes to, you know, grow from where it is and see if it's going to be implemented with, um, the, with the, um, the PGA, excuse me, and all that stuff. But, I mean, obviously not with Liv because he's not with Liv, and he's made it very well clear that he has no ever intention to go there. So we'll see what happens with his brand and with the days to come with overall branding. Cowboys defensive coordinator talk 
can finally just stop. I listened to 26 minutes yesterday on the Pat McAfee show with conversations with Adam Schefter about the defense coordinator position and, quote, the infatuation between um, Jerry Jones and Rex Ryan. I almost wish it could happen so Rex Ryan could fall on his face again because Rex Ryan thinks it is, you know what, does not stink. I am trying to keep this podcast clean for you guys today. Um, and when you have a... Rex Ryan has a plethora of knowledge, right? He has... He will forget more football than I could ever learn, right? He's been privy. He's been in head coaching. He's been a defensive coordinator. His resume speaks for itself, right? Finally, all this talk can stop about, oh, well, he said he wasn't interested. And when I said he, I'm referring to the interview with Adam Schefter about, oh, he wasn't interested in this or, you know, he told me this, but then it was that. When yesterday it was formally announced from the Dallas Cowboys team, front page, that they were signing former head coach of the Vikings, of all people, Mike Zimmer, to be the new defensive coordinator. And my initial reaction to this was, hmm, Mike Zimmer. The Vikings were at one point known for some pretty hard teams to play against, right? When they had Kendricks and they had young Danielle Hunter. They had, in like, um, Harrison Smith, right? They had a, a good amount of players on that team, and they were pretty solid. Lenval Joseph when he was younger, stuff like that. But that, it, it was reported, and I remember quite clearly the reason why Mike Zimmer was out of Minnesota was because he was hard to deal with. He did had a hard time relating to his players. And bear with me. I'm going to make a quick analogy. And we're going to jump right back to Mike Zimmer, right? The same conversation has been held for the last three weeks regarding one Eric Bieniemy, who was formerly the OC out of Washington. The con- if you are an assistant coach, I don't care if you're assistant offense coordinator, assistant defense coordinator, linebackers coach, special teams, offensive line, doesn't matter. Right? If you have a hard time relating to your players and your players have a hard time understanding what you're trying to tell them because the way you're, you're, the way you phrase it, the way you explain it, the way you're trying to teach it isn't registering, let me break this to you, Dallas. I don't know why I care this much. I don't know why I'm getting this, this, this is fired up. I watched this crap for five years straight with the Seahawks. You want to bring in Mike Zimmer? Go ahead. You know what's going to happen? Michael Parsons is not going to be as good. Your other players in uh, Jerron Bland are not going to be as good. Javon Curse is not going to be as good. They're not. And some people are going to say, oh, well, you are portraying, right? And to be honest, I am. But I'm portraying with previous knowledge about this man. I have family in Minnesota that had to sit by and watch this d- damn near dictator try and run a football team. Now, granted, he was the head coach. And head coaching positions and head coaching duties and head coaching responsibilities are drastically different than they are for a defensive coordinator. I understand that wholeheartedly. But what I can also say at the same time is I don't like the fit. I don't like the fit. If I'm Dallas, which first of all, we're going to get into one of their signings from Dallas here for, for our Seahawks segment. You let our, you let, excuse me, you let Aiden Dirty walk out the door, who is your assistant linebackers coach, who is one of the most respected assistant coaches in the league from various reputable, credible sources, including Mike Garofalo, which you'll hear me refer to a lot. He is as solid as it gets. Flat out. The man does not make fake reports. This is strict intel he has told from others in the industry. You let Arden Dirt and Dirty walk out that door after Dan Campbell left, or Dan Quinn, excuse me. Dan Quinn left, and you didn't lock up your heir to the throne, Jerry, because were you too busy having a side flirt conversation with Rex Ryan? This is why, and if any Dallas Cowboy fan is listening to this podcast, I would like you to listen to every word that will come out of my mouth, please. As a Seahawk fan, who has watched a team go from garbage to champion under the tutelage and the leadership of Pete Carroll, John Snyder, and the Allen Trust. You have a three-headed, at, the po- at, at that point in time, when we were champ, when we became champions, 
you had a three-headed monster, for a better lack of, of, of an expression, that were all on the same page, one for all, it's a three must, the three musketeers is what this was. And Jerry Jones and Dallas Cowboy fans, you are not going to have that until Jerry Jones relinquishes ownership of this organization. I'm not the first one to say it. I am well behind. There are thousands upon thousands of other people besides me that have said this. But it's a fact. You don't hire the right people. You don't bring in the right coaches. You think Mike McCarthy's going to win you a Super Bowl? You are um, delusional. Okay? I just, it almost, it nearly pains me. And I, I don't use the term hate very often because it's a very strong, nasty word for a lot, a, lot, a lot of people. I've hated the Cowboys my whole life because they've been egotistical, self-reliant, like, embellishing fan base who doesn't, they could, they could go, I know I'm on a way tangent right now, and, I, and I'm sorry. I apologize. I wasn't planning on doing this, but there's a reason for this, okay? You want to win football games? You want to have more diversity in football? You want to have more teams go to the Super Bowl than the Kansas City Chiefs and the San Francisco 49ers? Figure out ways, build organizations, build coaching trees, and stop worrying about chasing the prettiest name on the block. Leaving it there, dropping the conversation. Next! Or as, or as uh, Rocky would say, pass! The San Francisco Giants. Yes, baseball. We have now went from NFL, Cowboys, to Giants. Not much of a transition there. Apologies. But we're going to go down the line because I'm getting a little bit behind myself right now. Giants this morning officially signed outfielder Jorge Soler to a three-year, $42 million deal that averages AAV, $14 million. Jorge Soler, you waited around, you waited around, and you waited around. Reports from many teams, obviously including the Giants, who ended up prevailing to sign him, that he had a variety of offers on the table, but he was like every guy in free agency who gets that point. They want the most money, and I respect that. I wholeheartedly respect and understand why you're doing that. But you failed, because you go to the Giants, who aren't good. They're just not. Apologies to Giants fans who are listening. I'm a realist, okay? And they'll just say, dude, you're a Mariner fan. You guys suck for the last 20 years before you guys got any kind of pitching. You're not wrong. But you know what we do? We build. And you, by signing Jorge Soler, all you're doing is having to make a DFAing spot on your roster. Is he going to hit you 20 to 25 home runs this year? Probably. Is he going to be affected by the Marine layer or supposed Marine layer in San Francisco? Maybe. They went out and got, um, I forgot, Jung Ho Lee, uh, the outfielder. Excuse me, the outfielder. So they have two outfielders, right? They they traded for Robbie Ray. They ditched the contract of Mitch Haniger, blah, blah, blah. I do hope Paul Jorge Soler performs well. And maybe he has a better year, obviously. Who the hell knows? But for Giants fans who haven't had anything to root for since the prime of Buster Posey and Madison Bumgarner, I really hope that the additions of these two guys in Park and uh, Jorge Soler will bring a little bit of juice this organization has desperately needed. Speaking of free agents in baseball, I want to just kind of go over the big guys that are still out here and kind of... Where I protect them to go, a couple of them are not. Two of them are going to be surprising, maybe. Two of them, you're just going to be like, oh, well, yeah, of course, right? We'll go at the bottom and we'll work our way up. Uh, Matt Chapman is on the bottom of my list. I think he's going to be a Yankee. I do. I have no insider knowledge, obviously. I just look at Chapman, the fit, the player, the profile. I've heard plenty of conversation about, you know, in 710, about maybe him being here in Seattle. Hell no, we won't go. I don't want anything to do with Matt Chapman. Sorry, not sorry. I don't want it. Um... Let's see here. Jordan Montgomery. I think he's going to go back to Texas, which a lot of Texas fans are saying there's no way that's going to happen. Texas hasn't spent any money this offseason besides for extending Adolis Garcia recently, uh, which is a two-year, $14 million contract. Surprising value for that, but that's more of a, of a Rangers podcast topic. Um, Montgomery going back to Texas is just a fallback safe plan for them. They're having the same RSN issues as everybody else's. There are some teams figuring out these RSN issues right now. I know for a fact that Bally Sports, who has been taking care of the Padres, for example, they linked up with the Twins because the Twins literally did not have a broadcasting deal this year they signed a one-year deal with Bally Sports so 
a lot of these teams that aren't spending money is all because all, a large amount of it is due to the RSN, the regional sports networks, that conversation which we've had in the past. I'm not going to rehash that here today. If you want to listen to that, check out previous podcasts, please. Bellinger goes back to the Cubs. Those are the two kind of like back-to-back kind of gimmies. I just, he played well there. They're going to probably offer him the most money. He's comfortable there. He's had, you know, success. I don't see him taking a one-year deal after he just had, you know, the season that he did after the couple of years of struggling and injury issues for, for Cody Bellinger. But anything is obviously possible, as Kevin Garnett once said, and I just see that as the most likely option. If, you know, for Mariners fans, if you're dreaming about Bellinger, it's probably time to stop worrying about that. And this is the one that might surprise the most people. Blake Snell to Philadelphia. He just seems like a Philly to me. This has been my dark horse team for him all offseason. Um, yes, they signed Zach Wheeler. Yes, they have all these big contracts with JT Romuto and Bryce Harper. Yes, they had to release, uh, get rid of Reese Hoskins. But Blake Snell just fits the city. He fits the vibe. Um, the rotation would make them easily top five in baseball. Them, Seattle, and whoever else you want to put in there. But Snell would be an intriguing option for, for Philadelphia, obviously. A lot of people have wished and begged and pleaded and outcried and everything they could to get Snell here because he's a Washington boy. And he's made it known he wants to be here, but he's not the pitcher of the profile that we fit for our team. That's If that makes it like any kind of like of sense. Mandis has got walk issues. He's got control issues. His pitch count gets too high early in games, and he doesn't go deep enough in ball games often. If you want to listen to more about this, please check on uh, Chalked At. Locked on Mariners, Colby Patnode, and Tyden Gonzalez to do a great job. They've talked a plethora, the words of today, about Snell and the free agency and stuff. It's just not a realistic signing here in Seattle. If his price drops and he wants to take a one-year deal, sure, I'd do it. One year, $15 million, take it. But there's absolutely no way he takes $15 million. Blake Snell's going to look for 2025. So, Speaking of Mariners, let's transition into our second-to-last segment of the podcast today. Pitchers and catchers will report tomorrow for spring training. And uh, I just I can't be any more excited. This offseason has been long. It's been dreary. It's been a roller coaster ride of ups and big time downs and everything in between. But I'm just really, really ready. Really, really ready. That's a great expression. I'm, it's it's time. It's baseball time. The Super Bowl is done. The NFL can take their two weeks and rejet and reset and you know recharge their batteries. It's baseball time now. It's ASMR baseball. The of the you know the slap of the glove, the crack of a bat, the clanking of cleats, the whole nine yards. It's baseball time, and it damn feels good for it. Red this morning uh, brought in an outfielder named Bubba Thompson. He's just a, pretty much a speed guy. But the corresponding move for this was that the DFA'd former Mariner pitcher, starting pitcher, Levi Stout, who, if, for those of you who do not know or, for chance, forgot, Levi Stout was a part of the deal uh, for Jesse Winker and A. Eugenio Suarez. Uh, Levi Stout struggled in Cincinnati. He definitely struggled. His numbers, his walk rate more than doubled. Shout out to prospect insider himself, Jason Churchill, on just giving me a couple of stats and some banter to this conversation this morning. When he was... At the top of his prospect ranking, he had a 6% walk rate. Very, very good, right? And then it doubled to 11, and it's, con- it's continued to just go down since. Same has been said for Brandon Williamson, another Mariners pitcher. I don't know if they have, you know, their farm system, their ga- quote-unquote gas camp, whatever they want to call it, right, for uh, pitchers and stuff, that maybe they did some adjustments and it did more bad than good for Stout. But for me personally, I think he'd be fine for or organizational depth. Um, Jason referred to him as, as a possible bullpen piece, seeing if his stuff would translate more to the bullpen than starting pitching. I agree with that, considering now he's 26. He's not young anymore. In baseball years, you're starting to creep up a little bit. And, you know, I we do have an option in the bullpen, but there's really only one vacant option in the bullpen, and he clearly would not get it. So I would almost prefer him to be starting pitching depth since we DFA'd Darren McCacken to bring in um, Cannon, Smith, and Jigba last week. So just kind of a curious small-town signing, something just to kind of t- t- to take a look at. And that's the Mariners segment. And then we're just going to talk briefly about the Seahawks signings, my thoughts, initial reactions, stuff like that. Everybody knows, everyone's seen the pictures from, from Dino's, of uh, Mike McDonald, John Snyder, Ryan Grubb. Um, that's done. Ryan Grubb, formerly, obviously, University of Washington offensive coordinator, comes to Seattle, same position. 
uh, just a few days after he addressed the media, which I did talk about here on the podcast, that he was addressing people, addressing this, you know, group of um, donors, and, you know, they, they call themselves sharks, and some people, or whales, some people appreciate it, some people don't, right? But that's just the, the landscape of college football. Ryan Grubb clearly was your number one candidate. Yes, there were conversations about Eric Bieniemy that was never going to come to anything of fruition based upon what I have been found out on the inside, which isn't a lot. It's just more along the lines of Eric Bieniemy's personality. It just really isn't meshing well with this current younger slate of coaches. But I love uh, Grubb and his phys- and his physical system. His white he'll spread out. He is a offensive line running game based coach and person at, at heart, which I appreciate. Um, something I've been looking for and clamoring for years. Let's get back to what what we've done best for years. It's just run the football with conviction and be mean, be physical. Uh, run north south, get downhill, play with good pad level. You know all the things you've heard about for years. And Mike McDonald got on with Brock and Salk yesterday. Highly recommend you listen to that interview. Um, learned a lot in there. I didn't get a chance to really dissect everything. It's just my initial takeaway, stuff like that. When I hear we want to be big, we want to be physical, we're not going to, you know, no due disrespect to Shane Waldron. These are the facts. We're not going to be changing what we're doing on a week-to-week basis based upon our team. We are going to establish our core identity and fundamentals, and we're going to build from those core identity and fundamentals to make a sustainable, weekly, in-and-out, solid game plan and roster, which is something I've been, like I said, I've been clamoring for. I would think 95% of Seahawks fans would be clamoring for it as well. But it's a great hire. He's going to bring in a new idea, new concepts. Everything's fresh. And fresh is fun. Fresh is exciting. It's new bodies. It's new concepts. It's new thoughts. It's new people. And I just, I like new. You know, I'm not going to go into the whole Pete thing. It's new. It, it was time. And I'm just glad that this is the direction they chose to go with it. Uh, offensive line coach, also following Ryan Grubb from the University of Washington, is Scott Huff, who is highly regarded as one of the best offensive line coaches in the country. That's all I really know about him. Uh, I talked a little bit about defensive line or defensive coordinator now, Aiden Dirty formerly of the Dallas Cowboys. He was their linebackers coach, played professionally in Britain and inside the NFL, but on the NFL, he was only ever a practice squad guy. Not that that has anything to do with it. Plenty of guys who are coaching end up don't become playing because of physical health. So this guy is tenacious. He's going to bring a lot of juice. I I don't know a lot about him. I know it sounds bad. I'm talking about back-to-back guys I don't know a lot about, but the guy was a Cowboys linebacker coach. I mean, it's hard to kind of get more on an assistant linebacker coach than it would be obviously a Ryan Grubb or in this case, a Mike McDonald. Special teams' new coordinator um, was Larry Izzo. Unfortunately, he was relieved of his duties, and they brought in uh, Jay Harbaugh, formerly of Michigan, Harbaugh's son, uh, and, uh, and Jay's son. It's, this, is, this is great, man. This is exactly what you want. The guy is a winner. He plays with intensity on both sides of the ball. He is keen on details and making sure that your insides and outside gunners, specifically not to get too like nerdy on this, you're going to see an emphasis like we used to see with runners and gunners on special teams. That's going to be a lot, a lot of fun to watch. I also anticipate them to draft a kick returner because of what they did at Michigan. It's not going to be a high pick. It's probably going to be a seventh-round pick or something like that. Just something to kind of keep an eye on. So, Last thing I want to talk about before I get out of here. I talked about this topic on this podcast a year ago. And I feel like a part of me doesn't want to have this topic real quick, this short conversation. But I'm going to have it anyways because it's something that's been on my mind. After watching the Super Bowl and seeing the Chiefs win with a dominant defense that was stifling, tenacious, fast, physical, whatever else you want to, you know, adjectives and verbs you, you want to toss in, feel free, right? But it wasn't based upon the sole reliance of a prolific offense, right? Did Patrick Mah- Does Patrick Mahomes need a true number two wide receiver? Yes, right? But he doesn't need three number ones. He doesn't need three number twos or two number twos and one number one, however, however you want to phrase it, right? However your analysis breaks people to, to, to be down, excuse me. The reason why I'm bringing this up is because the conversation that I heard yesterday on Seattle Sports Station piqued my interest, and the article was well-written by Mike Salk on Seattle Sports Page, or Seattle Sports Network, um, that trading DK Metcalf is going to be one of the most polar conversations with a new coach. We don't know what he's looking for. We know that he wants to be physical, and that's all we really know. Obviously, DK can be physical, but he can also be a giant pain in the ass. 
Just point that out there, right? The cap hits for the wide receiver room are going to be one of the biggest in the NFL. I believe it is number four in cap hits for wide receivers in all of football. It's a lot of money between Tyler Lockett and do $27 million in DK over 25 this year. That is $50 plus million allocated for two wide receivers. And my personal opinion, where we stand today, February 13th, 2024, at 12.05 p.m., I will say that you cannot keep the contracts of both of these players going into next season as they are right now. One of the two is going to have to restructure or go. Now, a lot of people are going to say keep Lockett, trade DK because of Lockett's tenure with the Seahawks, and I wouldn't disagree with that, but I'd say there's definitely two ways to skin that cat. DK, we all know, is a phenomenal player, one of the fastest, if not the fastest player in football, even regardless of his size and everything, his stature. The reason why I'm really bringing this up is because of the value you could get for DK Metcalf. There's two trades that happen for wide receivers. Both are star wide receivers. They have two different values, right? When the Eagles traded A.J. Brown, or excuse me, when the Titans traded A.J. Brown two to the Eagles on draft night, it was for a first-round pick and a third-round pick. That was it. And that draft, that current draft, two total picks. The, Dol the Dolphins traded five picks for Tyreek Hill. A first, a third, a second, and two, and, and then the rest are fifths and sixth, right? Conditional fifths and sixth, depending upon production, stuff like that. I can't help myself but be intrigued by five for five picks. And are you going to say, realistically, you're going to get five draft picks for DK Metcalf? I don't think so. But you could. If you got a team like the Falcons or somebody that desperately needs a wide receiver to complement their, their their team, you know, I said the Falcons just for a pure example, um, you know, with them having like Drake, Drake London and stuff like that. So this is going to be a topic that's going to be addressed. It's going to be talked about at nauseum, I anticipate, as the months go closer with the draft and the combines. And we start seeing the physical stat numbers and all these guys. It's going to happen. It's going to be brought up. It's going to be interesting. And I'm going to be talking about this more as the weeks go on. But I just wanted to initially bring up the conversation to see how you guys felt. If you guys have any comments, suggestions, topic ideas, or better yet, if you want to come on the podcast, please reach out to me at capital P-N-W professor. You can find me there. Um, we'd love to have some people on. We're going to try and keep this as clean as possible. Um, and hell, if you happen to be an athlete and you listen to this, please come on. Let's, let's, let's chop it up. Let's talk. I'm great with breaking down analytical stuff. That's what I do best. And, uh, just want to say thank you to everybody for listening to today's podcast. Hope you guys have a blessed rest of your week, and uh, I'll catch you guys next time. Peace.